Our mission here at Grace Fellowship is to help people know and follow Jesus. And the primary way we do that is by focusing on Jesus himself. We've been doing that by studying Matthew's gospel. Uh, And right now we're in a a long section of Jesus' teaching, commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And in particular, this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching us what true righteousness looks like. Uh, what it means to be truly righteous. The scribes and the Pharisees, they took God's law, but they only applied it externally. They only applied it to their behavior. And Jesus says that the righteousness of his people has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Not in the amount of righteousness, but in the depth of it. How far it goes into our hearts. And so, We've looked at several sections now, several passages where he's taken God's law and applied it to our hearts, and he's going to do that again today. And so Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42 is where we'll be today. If you're using uh, the church Bible there, the black-covered Bible, it's page 810, that's where you'll find us. Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. Let's give our attention to God's word. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile... Go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All flesh is like grass. And all its glory is like the flower of grass. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, these are more hard words for us to hear, and so we pray that you would help us to understand and to apply them, or that you would make us the kind of people that you're describing for us here, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So I thought that the sermon on uh, adultery and divorce would be the toughie, Uh, but Jesus has other plans. He doesn't really seem to mind stepping On my toes. All ten of them. Twice. What is it that that Jesus is dealing with here? Well, I think it's probably best described by the famous theologian, Carrie Underwood. I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive, carved my name into his leather seats. I took a Louisville slugger. To both headlights, I slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time, he'll think before he cheats. Yep. Some of you are familiar with Miss Underwood's work. Ironically, uh, the song on the, that song is on the same album with the song Jesus Take the Wheel. Okay, Carrie. Now, maybe you find Carrie to be a little extreme, or maybe you've been Carrie. Either way, 
we all get it. That deep-seated desire to get even, to get mine, to score points against someone who's hurt me. We call it fairness. We call it justice, what we deserve. And you know, sometimes we're right. Sometimes we do deserve better than what we get. There is certainly a place for justice. But at its heart, what, at our hearts, what Jesus is going for is that, that desire that stems from a place of self-protection. That's what Jesus is setting his sights on. Now, this is one of the most misinterpreted, uh, misused verses, uh, passages of the Bible. Um, as soon as we read something, uh, as soon as we hear Jesus say something like this, automatically we start, you know, we start doing the scribe and Pharisee thing, right? We start saying like, hey, well, what about, what about this situation? Well, but surely not this situation, right? We start splitting the hairs and trying to figure out how we can get around what Jesus is saying. Because I don't, look, there are some places where Jesus is hard to understand. This is not one of those places. Jesus is pretty easy to understand here. Now, he's hard for me to follow, but he's not hard to understand. What Jesus is doing is he's calling us to replace self-protection with self-denial. He's calling us away from what comes so innate to us, that desire to protect and guard ourselves He's calling us to a place of self-denial. He's calling us, he's calling me not to demand my rights, but to lay them down for the good of another. So we're going to look at this with three questions this morning. First, what's Jesus' point? Second, what does it look like? How does this play out? And then finally, how does it happen? How does it become real in our lives? So first, what is Jesus' point? Uh, He references an Old Testament law here in verse 33, excuse me, in verse 38, when he says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I discovered this week that, that this law actually is older than the Old Testament, that we find it in law codes going back that, that predate the Old Testament. It's a common law. Uh, in Latin, this is, you know, so when you're doing Jeopardy this week, you can now know. In Latin, it's called Lex Talionis, uh, the law of revenge, which is exactly what it's designed to prevent. What we call it in America is the punishment fits the crime, right? And the purpose of the law is to prevent revenge and retaliation. It sets limits on damages. Uh, it sets limits and makes them just and equal, right? So if you knock out my tooth, I can't take your eye. It's tooth for tooth, right? That would be unfair. And so this is actually, right, a good law. We want a law like this in place because it prevents us from 
retaliating, from escalating things even further. Uh, J.D. Vance, who's now a senator, I think, or a congressman, uh, but he, he wrote a book called Hillbilly Elegy uh, about his family uh, from the hills of Virginia. Fascinating book, fascinating look at, at rural culture. Um, his family uh, was from the, the rural parts of Virginia up in the mountains, and they moved down for work into the Ohio Valley. Um, but he tells stories of what rural justice looks like to his family. And so he described, for instance, uh, back in Virginia where, you know, this guy insulted this man's mother. And so he grabbed a circular saw and took it to him. Right? Because you're not going to insult my mama. I'm going to teach you a thing or two. He talks about his grandparents when they moved into the, into the city to work in the factory. They were walking through a mall and they let their son go in a toy store. Uh, while they went to go looking for something else, they go shopping for something else. And so their son starts playing with all the toys in the toy store. And the clerk goes over to him and says, hey, sorry, you can't do that. You, know, you have to buy it before you can play with it. And so the son goes outside the store and is dejected and disappointed. And uh, the parents come back. And when they find out what the clerk said, they walk into the toy store and wreck it. They just trash it. They tear everything off the, the shelf and throw it on the floor. Because again, again, we all have this insatiable desire that if you hurt me, then I'm going to hurt you back. If you dishonor me, then I'm going to need to dishonor you. I've got to get even. In the face of that, Jesus says something that sounds absolutely crazy. He says, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the evildoer. Now, in other places, the Bible tells me to flee from evil. Uh, so what in the world does Jesus mean? Well, I don't know how to explain this other than to say that Jesus is intensifying as he goes. In, in the passages leading up to this, he's taken the law, like do not murder, and he's shown us how it applies not just to our behavior, but to our hearts. Right, so if I'm angry in my heart, I'm guilty of murder. If I've desired a woman in my heart, I'm guilty of adultery. So that's what Jesus has done to this point. But in these next two passages, what we'll look at this week and next week, Jesus, Jesus takes the law and goes beyond it. He goes further. We might say he exceeds the demand, that even that doesn't quite fit, right? He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say don't even resist the one who is evil. Don't, uh, don't resist the one who does evil to you. Now, here's what Jesus is not doing, right? He's not calling for an end to law enforcement. He's not calling for an end to the justice system. Some have heard, taken this passage in that direction. Tolstoy, a uh, Russian dissident, would have taken it in that direction. But that would contradict other things that Jesus says. It contradicts other parts of the Bible. Uh, Romans 13 says that the state has the power to punish evil. So Jesus isn't contradicting that. Nor is Jesus saying that we shouldn't protect our families. That we shouldn't protect weaker people. Jesus doesn't say that, what he's saying, and here's his point, he's saying that when it comes to your personal life, 
particularly in matters of insult. But when it comes to your personal life, choose to deny yourself rather than defend yourself. Say no to that impulse to get even. Say even if you deserve it. Say no to that impulse to get square, even even if the other person is wrong. Jesus is saying, deny yourself instead of defend yourself. Now, what does that look like? He gives us four illustrations here in verse 39 and following. And it's worth saying, it's pointing out that these are not laws to be strictly interpreted. He is illustrating the principle Jesus is not saying that the the things we're about to go through are a law to be woodenly applied in every single case. What he's doing is illustrating the principle of self-denial instead of self-preservation or self-defense. So verse 39, Jesus says, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one also. In Jesus' day, just like ours, if somebody walked up to you and backhanded you, That would be a personal insult. In fact, there was even uh, Jewish law even had a fine for that, right? Somebody, your attacker could be fined for insulting you in that way. He's not talking about, he's not talking about your personal safety, right? If If a drunk person or a psychotic person tries to attack you, then you're good to defend or restrain yourself. Excuse me, you're good to defend or restrain them. Though, I would add to that, you also should restrain yourself. Right? If somebody is seeking to attack you, you don't escalate it by brutalizing them. Right? No, what's at stake here is not my safety, but my honor. My pride. Someone has insulted me, and I need to make them pay. Someone has insulted me, and I need to protect my honor. That's... What Jesus is saying, Jesus says, no, you don't. You don't have to defend your honor. You can let your pride be insulted. You can turn the other cheek. Verse 40, he says, if somebody sues you and takes your uh, tunic, which was the inner garment, uh, not quite like our underwear, but Every Jewish person would have had a, a tunic that they wore underneath their, their garments close to the body. It was uh, less expensive. If somebody could sue you and take that, um, Jesus says, let them take your cloak, the outer garment, the more expensive thing. What's interesting is that in uh, Old Testament law, uh, you could not keep a person's tunic. So let's say if somebody owed you money and they put their, they gave, excuse me, you couldn't keep their cloak. So let's say somebody owed you money. And they put their cloak up as collateral. Like, here, take my cloak until I can pay you back. Old Testament law said you got to give them their cloak back by nightfall because they need that to stay warm. So, so Old Testament law protected the most vulnerable in that, in that case. Here Jesus is saying, if they take your tunic, give them your cloak too. Go beyond what is expected, even to your detriment. Don't protect yourself. Deny yourself. Verse 41, Jesus says, If somebody forces you to go one mile, you go with them too. This is not talking about good customer service, going the extra mile. This is talking about in uh, Jewish culture, right? Remember that the Romans occupy 
uh, Israel. And the Jews hated it, just like we would hate it. And what could happen is a, a Roman soldier, you were walking along doing your, uh, you know, going about your business. A Roman soldier could say, here, carry this pack for me a thousand paces. And you'd have to do it. They could commandeer you. Right. I want you to imagine how demeaning and insulting that would be. Imagine, for instance, that, that China conquered and was occupying the United States. And so Chinese soldiers were uh, patrolling the streets of our town. And you and a friend were done with lunch over at Main Street, and you're walking down the street, and a Chinese soldier grabs your arm and says, here, carry this heavy bag down the street. How insulting would that be? Right? You, how, how demeaning would that be? Your honor would be questioned. Jesus says, take it. And go another mile. So don't just accept the insult, but actually carry it further. Invite further insult. You see how crazy this is? One more example. Verse 42. Jesus says, give to everyone who asks ask of you. Now again, I, I don't think Jesus is saying you have to give cash to every person who asks for it. Right, if a guy is going to take my money and buy whiskey or meth, then it would be destructive for me to give it to him. I don't believe that's what Jesus is after. What Jesus is saying is, well, remember the principle, self-denial over self-protection. How do we feel about our time and money? How do we feel about our resources? We want to protect them. We want to guard them. We're like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings. It's mine. All mine, right? And Jesus is saying, no, be free with it. If someone approaches you and says they want some money so they can buy some food, maybe you don't give them the cash. Maybe you take them to lunch, assuming you have the money and the time. Right? Jesus is saying, rather than, rather than go with the automatic response of self-preservation and self-defense, Right, I've got to protect what's mine. Jesus is saying, be free with it. Give it away. Don't refuse it. Right? Again, all four of these are illustrations of that same principle. They're not laws to be followed. They're just examples of what it looks like. Now, so for you, where, wherever that is, when you hear that principle and you go, yeah, but what about what about this scenario? What about this situation? That right there is where you need to do the work. Whatever the but is, that's where you need to do some exploration, some self-examination. What is it in my heart? What, what is it that I'm trying to defend? What is it that I'm trying to protect? What is it that I'm trying to guard? That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants, to look at our, he wants us to look at our hearts and figure out, what is it that I'm trying to guard? If it's just my honor or my pride or my stuff, then I can let it go. If it's true justice, if it's someone else, then okay. Maybe I have something going on there, but I still need to wrestle through my motives in that case. Let me give you a couple more examples from, uh, from history. Hudson Taylor uh, was a missionary to China. 
Uh, and what Taylor would do so that he could, to become a part of Chinese society so that he could reach Chinese people, is he would dress like a Chinese person, dress like a Chinese man. Uh, and one day, Taylor is waiting next to a river uh, to cross it. Uh, the ferry boat has come across, and uh, Hudson Taylor is about to get on the boat when a wealthy Chinese nobleman comes along and pushes Taylor out of the way, pushes him to the ground. Now, in Chinese culture, the foreigner deserves highest honor. But this man didn't recognize, didn't realize that the person he'd pushed over was a foreigner because Hudson Taylor was dressed as a Chinese man. And so the boat captain, the ferry captain, pointed that out. He said, hey, you just, you just pushed over a foreigner. He deserves better than that. And the man, realizing his mistake, uh, apologized to Hudson Taylor. Uh, you know, Taylor got up, and you know what he did? He got on the boat, and he invited the other man to ride with him. And they had a long conversation. Now, that man, what do you think he was thinking? Because what Hudson Taylor did was so countercultural, right? In a shame-honor culture, this man had just shamed Hudson Taylor. And so Hudson Taylor would have been right to shame him back in some proportionate amount. Taylor refuses to shame him. Instead, he welcomes him to take the boat with him, and they have a good conversation. Because Hudson Taylor belongs to a different world. You may be familiar with the story of Jim Elliott. Uh, Elliott and his family moved to South America uh, to try to reach a tribe that had been unreached with the gospel. They were a violent and warlike people. Uh, they, did not, they had not had good experience with people outside of their tribe. Uh, and so Elliot and his friends uh, would fly over. They would drop leaflets. They were looking for a good place to land their plane so that they could begin reaching out to these people. Um, and if you know Jim Elliot's story, you know that uh, on their second visit, so they found a beach in the middle of the river to land on. Uh, they, um, they landed once and kind of introduced themselves, tried to get to know the people. The second time they landed... Uh, the tribesmen came out and murdered uh, all of the people, all of the missionaries. Uh, now, Jim Elliott had the option to carry a gun, uh, and he refused. And he said, I know where I'm going, and I refuse to take the life of someone that I know is going to hell. And so Jim Elliott denied himself. Denied to protect himself for the good of those people that he was trying to reach. And later on, his wife and children moved into that same jungle, moved into that same jungle to reach those people. And their ability to forgive the man who murdered their husband and father brought the gospel to that tribe. Here's the thing. When we live this way, we show that we belong to a different world. That we belong to a different kind of culture. One where we make crazy decisions. Decisions that make no sense because we belong to someone else. Think about how that would play out in our current moment. We live... We live in such a touchy time. We are so defensive 
It's like, it's like everyone is a raw nerve, just, just waiting. As soon as the slightest, at the slightest provocation, we explode. That's the moment we live in. What if we valued something more than our own honor, our own pride, and our own protection? What if we, instead of being offended, what if we didn't lash out? What if we were different? How does that happen? How does that become your reality? Well, what's the core issue? Why, why is self-denial so difficult and self-preservation so basic to who we are? Well, because self-denial is dangerous. It's crazy. It's not safe. Right? I, I don't deny myself because I might lose. I might lose something valuable. I might even lose my life. Self-denial is death. Sometimes literally. And I don't want to die. I want to live. But if you notice in each of those scenarios that I mentioned earlier... I have to die to what I want. I have to die to myself. Right? If somebody slaps you on the face, you have to die to that desire to strike back. If someone takes something from you, you actually have to fight that desire and give them more. That requires death. It requires death to self. And that's hard. That's difficult. It's not safe. That's why I said it's crazy. It makes no sense. Unless Jesus is who he says he is. You see, if I'm united to Christ, then in one sense, I've already died. I've already died to my old self, and I've already been brought back to life. And now my identity is literally Jesus. And that means I'm safe. It means you can't take anything from me. Not anything that really matters. It means I can't lose anything. Because I've already won. You see, most of us are living... Every single day, every single minute, as if we've got to achieve or win something else. We've got to prove something. Friend, if you're in Christ, he's already won for you. He's already taken your punishment, and he's already given you his righteousness. So I've got nothing else to take, and I've got nothing else to win, which makes me free. Now, only the person who's trusting in Jesus and has the Holy Spirit can actually say that. If you're not in Christ, then you're not safe. And so it makes absolutely perfect sense that you would try to protect as much as you can. Self-denial is only possible if you are in Christ. What does that look like? How does, how does that become reality? Zach mentioned uh, a couple of these already in our time of repentance and assurance. One, 
I can trust God's judgment. Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. You know what that means? God will take care of what's fair and just. He'll do it either in this life or he'll do it in the next. But justice is his department. My enemy, the one who does evil to me, and notice that Jesus does not question that. Jesus says, do not resist the one who is evil. He assumes this is an evil person who is doing evil. Okay? Not somebody we think is doing evil, but someone who is doing evil. My enemy, the evildoer, will either be judged or saved. And it's not my job to do either. I just trust God's judgment. If he saves him, great. If he's an object of his wrath, okay. But that's in God's hands, and I rest in that. I also trust God's grace. We read from 1 Peter 2. We read that again. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So even Jesus trusted his father's judgment. Jesus was able to go to the cross trusting his father's will. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You're safe. You are righteous in Christ. Jesus paves the way and we just walk behind him. And here it is. The the beauty of the gospel is that I don't get what I deserve. I deserve God's wrath. He gives me his grace. If that's true, then then I can show grace to other people. I can rest in God's grace. Let me close with the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. You may know the story of Stephen. Uh, Stephen was one of, uh, he was a member of the early church, one of the first uh, so-called deacons. Uh, uh, Stephen is proclaiming Jesus to his Jewish friends. Uh, And at some point, the mob gets angry. He tells them that they're hard-hearted, that they're committing the same sins that prior generations had committed. They did not like what Stephen had to say. Here's what it says in Acts 7.54. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, just about every other time that we see the the throne room and Jesus in the throne room of heaven, Jesus is seated, right? Because that means if if he sat down, it means the work is finished. Okay, this is maybe the only time where Jesus is seen standing in the throne room. Why is he standing? Because Stephen is surrounded by an angry mob. The authorities are standing against him. The people are standing against him. But over them all, Jesus is standing for him. He said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. 
They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. You can't imagine what a horrible way to die that would be. You were cast off of a higher cliff and then they just threw rocks on top of you. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And saying that, he breathed his last. What did Stephen deserve? Certainly better than he got. And yet, what enabled Stephen to say what he said? He saw the Lord Jesus standing for him. Friend, you want to know how to make this a reality in your life? You want to know how to turn the other cheek? You want to know how to give things away that you hold precious to you? You have to run to Jesus. And you have to see that when the world stands against you, Jesus stands for you. And if Jesus stands for you, then you're safe and all is well. Let me pray. Father, would you apply this word to our hearts? Would you make us the kind of people who are not afraid of losing because we've already won? People who because of what we know we have in Christ, we are unafraid. We are safe. Lord, this is a hard thing. And we need you to do a deep work in our hearts. Would you give us Stephen's eyes to see that you stand for us when everyone else stands against us? And would you help us to trust you, and not ourselves. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.